Welcome to Consulting Growth Hour with me, Fahim Musa, where I break down key growth concepts so you can build a thriving consulting business. Check out the show notes for presentations and handouts as we go deep into the rabbit hole of consulting. Let's get started. Okay, so today the topic for the Consulting Growth Hour, the third edition of the Consulting Growth Hour, where we break down uh, topics in consulting is how to pick high value markets for your consulting business, right? So as always, I'm gonna start off with my definition of these terms. Um, so what we're discussing today is markets, right? So again, those, these are terms that people um, have various definitions for. So what do I mean by a market? Uh, a market is nothing but a group of potential clients uh, with similar problems and needs that you can serve. Right? How do I kind of classify markets? So I do, I, I do this in three ways. So there are three ways I classify markets. Number one is um, vertical markets. Now, vertical markets are essentially industry groups, you know, um, where, you know, it's an industry or a segment within the industry. Let's say mid-sized clothing retail. Clothing retail would be a vertical, right? Um, now, number two, the way I classify uh, a market is a horizontal market. Now, a horizontal market it doesn't it, you know, necessarily need to be classified uh, based on industry. They're industry agnostic, um, if you will. Uh, they're typically classified based on size, you know, for example, small businesses in New Hampshire, for example, right? And that's number two. So that's vertical, horizontal, and customer base that's number three customer base would be focused on some characteristics of the customer let's say a minority owned businesses right they could be in any industry they could be any size but uh they're, they're classified based on the some kind some characteristic of the the business owners or minority owned businesses for example okay so with that out of the way let's just jump in into the main topic, which is how do you pick high value market segments? Okay. So the first thing that I want to say about picking high value market segments is that the most valuable market segment for a consultant or any business owner is a market that you know intimately well. You know, you don't have to look outward to find the most valuable market. If you look at your experience, and uh, I know consultants have tremendous experience. That's why they become consultants, because they have the knowledge, they have the expertise and the experience to advise other businesses, other organizations. So looking back at your experience, markets that you know intimately well typically are the most valuable, right? I know a lot of you came here thinking about, you know, okay, how do we, yeah, wanting me to give you advice about how do we you know, get into other markets, external markets that you've never heard of. Yes, we're coming to that. But uh, based on my experience, the, the markets that you know intimately well and you have experience in typically are the most valuable to you. And again, from what I've seen, um, most consultants don't, don't really dig in to uh, you know, markets that they know. And they don't fully kind of uh, you know, uh, saturate those markets. They're always looking 
for you know what's out there what, what else am i missing like that's a human tendency right the grass seems to be greener on the other side so we tend to look at okay what am i missing what's the uh, what, what are the other opportunities we're coming to that but uh, you know um, make sure that uh, before you look outward that you uh, fully take advantage of what you already know because here's the thing I've been selling consulting services for about 15 years now. And every time, like most of the time, not every time, but most of the time, like business to business buyers, there's a, there's a peculiarity about B2B buyers. Like they want to, they want to hire people that have, that have experience in that very thing. So they'll, they'll ask you, you know, uh, this question, and many of you may have uh, encountered this. So they'll ask you, have you done this before? What have you, have you worked in this industry before? Um, what is your experience doing this specific thing in this specific vertical or whatnot? That's how buyers are, right? Uh, especially if you're selling consulting services where which are like six figures and up, they want they want to minimize risk. Right? They don't want they want to mitigate risk. They don't want to like me, you know, uh, they want they don't want to uh, lose face by hiring the wrong person. Uh, and uh, you know, God forbid something goes wrong, then you know it's uh, it's a black mark against their uh, their reputation. So. They want people with experience, right? So that's why it's really, really important to uh, to, to make sure that you that you fully saturate um, what you know, uh, um, the markets that you know, and really like uh, you know um, uh, take advantage of your experience. Because here's the thing: if you're a business consultant, if you're a business consulting owner, um, you don't need you know a large volume of clients. We're not B to C players, right? A handful of clients, let's say, let's say five or ten clients per year. That's all typical business consulting owners need, right? So you're not in the volume play. So um, even if it's even if you come from a, um, if your background is in, in an industry or or a market that you feel is quite small, I mean, can you find five customers? I bet you can. Can you find ten customers? You probably can, right? Um, and that's the best bet. To, to find markets that are that to find you know a, a segment that is valuable so here's how you do that here's uh, you know you may have worked in different uh, industries different uh, uh, markets that you know really that you know really well right you may have multiple markets that you know really well so the first thing you want to do is you want to list your expertise right uh, to find which market to target and which market will be the most valuable so the first thing you want to do is is uh, list your expertise Okay, so when I say expertise, it could be functional expertise like uh, human resources, uh, strategy, um, uh, communication, for example. It could also be platform-based expertise. Like a platform-based expertise uh, is something like you know uh, maybe you're you're an expert in Oracle or you're an expert in Six Sigma or lean manufacturing. Um, whatever the whatever platform uh, uh, you know you're uh, uh, you're an expert in, right? So yeah. And, once you list them down, you want to make sure that you rank them um, and pick the one you're best at. It's really is, it really is that simple, right? So once you do that on one side, uh, the other side, think about the markets that you know really well, right? Or whether they're vertical markets or horizontal or customer focused, as I described to you earlier. And you want to try and go as narrow as possible. I know this is so cliched. Um, go as narrow as possible, find your niche. But you know, there's there's real wisdom. In, in that um, concept, right? Because um, the, the narrower you go, the more intimately you know that, that market, 
right? Based, of course, on your expertise. Like, say, for example, like let's say you choose furniture manufacturing companies in West Virginia or companies ex exporting um, commercial kitchen equipment in Eastern Europe, right? These are actual markets that my clients have uh, have chosen and 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 won at, right? So um, a lot of the times people ask me, okay, should I go vertical or should I go horizontal? Like, like I just said, like, if you can go, if you can find a way to go really deep in a vertical or in an, in an industry, um, you're going to find that it's, it's, it's going to be far more easier to grow a business. Because again, um, the more focused you are, the more narrow you are, you tend to know the, uh, the the intricacies of that industry, the nuances, the 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 jargon, the lingo, the the trade secrets, right? And that's what buyers want. At the end of the day, they don't want somebody who's really raw and green come in and you know uh, having to train that person uh, from scratch. So as far as possible, try and go you know, be as narrow as possible. I understand that sometimes you don't have the opportunity to go really you know uh, really narrow. In those cases, you, you can consider going horizontal, uh, industry agnostic. But in most cases, in most, I've, I've worked with a lot of consultants uh, and, and coached them on this. In most cases, we find verticals. And here's, here's what I've noticed. If, you're, if your revenues are under $3 million uh, annually, um, I would wager that you can still find a very, very narrow niche and do really well and, and grow fast and build a really profitable business. Right, um, so you may think that you have plateaued, you know, in your vertical, uh, but uh, I would uh, I would uh, wager that you know if you're doing under three million dollars, right? Uh, I would wager that you you probably haven't. You probably can go um, deeper, and you still have you still can grow uh, your business and build a valuable um, uh, company. Okay, but let's say you you've actually hit a plateau. Right? What if you've hit a plateau in your current market and now you want to find more profitable markets? That's probably why you know most of you have, uh, uh, are here today to understand how do you find um, valuable markets outside the ones you know. Okay. So assuming that you have hit a plateau and you've saturated your current market, what do you do? Okay. What if you've hit a plateau in your current market? Okay. Um, so the first thing I would do is to understand where are the costly problems. Looking at looking at you know uh, the world today and the economy and you know whatever um, uh, you know markets that you know, maybe you have like five or six ones segments and you're trying to figure out okay how do I have you know which direction to go in. The first thing I want to know is okay where are the costly problems. Right, costly problems lead to um, high-value solutions. People, uh, uh, organizations tend to pay more to get rid of costly problems. And the first place I would look for a costly problem is to find larger organizations within your your market or your industry or you know uh, wherever you're uh, you're operating in. A lot of the times, most consultants, and I've done a survey about this before, most consultants. Um, focus on serving small businesses like 80 percent of consultants i know focus on small serving small businesses and when i say small businesses i typically 
um, define small businesses as uh, companies or organizations that have under 1,000 employees, right? And, you know, it kind of makes intuitive sense because most organizations are small organizations. And so most consultants will serve uh, smaller organizations. Um, but a lot of the times we limit ourselves. This is a mindset thing that, you know, just because we don't have experience in serving larger organizations or mid-sized organizations, um, we don't want to venture out and go up market and find larger organizations where we can apply our own expertise, right? So um, that is a bit of a mindset issue. Now, I've, I've found, and I've done this in my own business, where uh, I've served smaller organizations and I've taken that same exact same expertise and served larger organizations. So as an example, I owned a digital marketing consulting company once, and uh, this was a done-for-you service. And I started with serving uh, smaller businesses, like startups, like 50-person teams, 100-person teams. And I never ventured out of that zone because I felt comfortable. And I also, you know, realized that I've never done, you know, I've never served, um, you know, a, a real, a, a huge public company before. So I don't want to like go there. So I kind of like, I was, I was happy with where I was um, and I was doing pretty well, but then I got a referral for, um, from somebody I knew and then they referred me to this large public company and I was hesitant at first. But then when I got the business and I, and I delivered the work, it was, you know, 80% of the work was, was the same. I had to tweak my delivery and my offering a little bit, um, add a couple of people you know, to my team, but 80% of it was the same, right? So um, if you feel that you've saturated your current market and you want to find high value, uh, a high value, high value market segment, just simply move, go up market. Because larger companies have larger problems and larger, and they'll pay way more to get rid of those problems. So what I did for a small business, I did almost the same for a larger business, and I, you know, got paid four times the price. So that's one way to look at it. Okay, another way to look at costly problems, finding markets segments with costly problems, is to look at leaky buckets. Okay, um, segments that are losing money that are losing, generally losing market share, um, uh, provided they have the means to pay you, right? A lot of companies, a lot of uh, segments, because of technology these days, they're losing share, they're losing, they're losing money. Um, so those may be good segments to, um, to target, provided they have the means to pay you. Like for example, newspaper, the newspaper industry, like these folks, you know, because of technology, of course, um, a lot of newspapers are losing money. Some of them have gone out of business. Um, they may be a good way to target news, uh, the newspaper market, the newspaper industry, um, provided you have a good offering and everything. But uh, you got to make sure that you know the the segments or the individual companies that you target have the means to pay. Otherwise, it's going to be uphill battle. So, in some cases. Um, markets which have companies that have leaky buckets may consider those problems so serious that they're willing to find the resources and find the best talent to to get rid of those problems and find solutions but uh, sometimes they're not sometimes you know it's just like a they treat it as a sunk cost and they want to move to other things so depending on you know your judgment of what that what's going on in that segment and that and the trends in that industry um, 
and make that call whether or not you want to go after segments that have these leaky buckets. Okay. Right. So the third way to find costly problems um, is to look at industries that have the potential to lose big time in the future. Right. You might have uh, heard of this term, digital transformation. Right. Especially consultants that are uh, focused on mid to large organizations, serving mid to large organizations. There's there's a lot of demand for digital transformation consultants. Why is that? Because you know, everything is becoming tech enabled, right? Technology is either uh, changing the way you do business within an organization, like, you know, processes and operations, or companies are putting out um, digital or tech enabled products itself, right? So things are getting, things are becoming more and more tech enabled and digital. And because of that, digital transformation is one of the fastest growing segments in, uh, in consulting today. Because every company knows that if they don't, in some way, shape, or form, change the way they do business, they're going to lose big time. So when you're looking for costly market segments, look at companies or look at segments that you feel are going to have going to lose money or going to lose something in a big way in the future. That's, a, that's an indication that there may be consulting opportunities there. Okay. Okay, so we talked about costly problems. Now I want to have, a, I want to, you know, add a little bit of a twist here, uh, and also have you look at urgent problems. Now, costly problems got to be urgent problems, right? But not a not uh, a lot of companies would agree that just because it's costly, it's urgent. Less, a lot of companies would simply um, turn a blind eye to, let's say, process based. Um, losses if they're if they're losing money um, by by way of kind of you know following the wrong pro processes management may know it's costly but it may not be a priority right so another way of uh, finding out which companies really want to change and where it's actually really costly is to find companies and, 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 and segments where problems are urgent there are urgent problems that require there are problems that require urgent solutions Okay, so one way to think about uh, this is to look for segments and markets that have hyper competition, right? Competition, hyper competition pushes companies into action, provided they have the means, of course, to, uh, to pay for consulting services. Um, I'll give you an example, like look at what's happening with uh, in the automotive industry. Like ever since Tesla has come in, like uh, for a few years, um, Tesla has slowly grown and now it's becoming electric cars are slowly becoming mainstream, right? And now Ford and, and GM and all these big car companies are, you know, seriously getting into the electric car market, right? So far, they've been a little quiet because it's been a, it's, it hasn't been mainstream yet, but now it's, it's starting to get mainstream. And I will read in the papers that uh, uh, the, the, the big major companies for GM and, you know, whatnot, are getting into the, elect uh, the electric car market. And uh, do you think that they would, they would want to have the right consultants to advise them on, uh, on how to capture this market and how to grow uh, this business? You bet they will, right? So I'm sure that a lot of consultants who have expertise, uh, you know, ex-corporate, uh, uh, ex-Tesla folks, for example, now turn independent and started consulting companies, uh, would have made a lot of money uh, over the past couple of years 
because now these big companies, these big car companies are getting serious um, uh, in, uh, in the electric car market. So that, that's an example, right? Hyper-competition forces and pushes companies into action um, and, uh, you know, has them hire the, uh, you know, the most talented consultants. Okay, so um, why were our urgent problems? How do you, how do you uh, identify segments with ur urgent problems? Another way to do that is to look for markets that are mandated to change fast, okay? There are certain market segments that have to change fast. For example, venture capital funded startups, right? Once, you, once a startup company gets venture capital funding, they have no choice but to grow fast because the venture capitalists want to exit that investment in three to five years, for example. Right, so um, they have to, these, these, these startups have to grow fast. And when you're mandated to change and grow fast, that pro, you know, gives rise to a need for high value consulting. And that's a great way to, um, uh, you know, to look at markets. Um, markets that are mandated to change fast, also markets that are affected by changing regulations. Right? If there's a regulation and you have no choice but to change, then, and of course, if the, if the companies that are affected by those regulations don't have expertise in those regulations, then obviously they're gonna look for consultants. I'll give you an example. Now, a few years, a couple of years ago, in the internet marketing and the uh, advertising space, there's a, there was a new privacy regulation in Europe called GDPR, right? Um, I forget exactly what it was, what it, what it stands for, but uh, basically it, it meant that Websites that stored or collected um, visitors' private data um, should explicitly tell those visitors that they collect, you know, they collect that data. So now, when you go to a website, like over the past couple of years, you know, big websites, especially, will say, you know, they collect cookies. Do you want to accept the cookies or reject those cookies? Yeah, general data protection regulation. Thanks for that. So now, when you go to these big websites, you have you know, a pop-up that says accept or reject, right? So you have a choice. A couple of years earlier, before that regulation came to, in, in, into force, um, you didn't know what data these, these websites that you visited were collecting, right? So when the GDPR came into force, that was a regulation. And um, a lot of GDPR consultants, privacy consultants, um, made a killing out of that because companies had no idea what, um, what they were supposed to do, right? So keep an eye out for regulations and there's a small window for, uh, for, the, for that type of consulting. If you have the expertise, then uh, by all means, um, explore those markets. So we've talked about uh, three concepts. Number one, markets that you know that are most valuable, markets that you know intimately well, right? That's, the, that's my number one uh, go-to in terms of finding um, high value market segments. Number two is costly problems, markets that have costly problems, right? And number three um, is markets that have urgent problems, okay? A couple of more concepts um, to discuss before, we, before I open it up to, to questions. So to find high value markets, right? Um, you got to understand how to find underserved markets. 
this is a really interesting concept. It can be a little theory heavy, but, uh, but stay with me because this is a really interesting um, way to um, find opportunities. And this is not just um, only for consultants, but any business owner. I mean, all these concepts that I'm talking about are, are, can be used for any business. Like this is how typically entrepreneurs think and you know, find opportunities. Right, so um, to find underserved markets, you know, you want to research market segments that have current demand, but where demand isn't truly being met. Right, markets with demand, but where demand isn't fully being met. Now, again, there's there's a window when this happens in um, in most markets because you know. Once you miss that window, then markets become saturated, right? With lots of competition. So how do you find markets with, uh, or how do you identify markets with demand, um, but where demand is not being truly met? Now for a consulting uh, business owner, here's what uh, I found. This is not, it's not scientific advice that I'm giving you, but uh, this is a, a principle. This is a mental model that you can use to, uh, to find underserved markets. I've done this with a few clients of mine. So to find an underserved market, you wanna find a segment that has at least 1,000 firms, okay? 1,000 companies in that segment. And I've spoken about this uh, in, in the last live as well, but I think it's an important concept that people you know, uh, should try. So find whatever market that you are you know, going after, make sure that you have at least 1,000 firms, right? And in those in that in that specific market in that segment or niche, make sure that you there are at least ten competitors, right? That are offering a similar value proposition or a promise that that you're offering. Okay, a, a market that does not have competitors worries me, right? It's not like okay, there's no way you you can you know be successful in that market, but not but but no competitors in a market maybe an indication that you're just simply too early in that market. So um, converting sales and um, converting sales fast may be an issue, maybe maybe a challenge in those types of markets where there are no competitors and you're, you're trying something really new, uh, even though you feel there is a, uh, um, you know, uh, there is a need for those services, but there's no active demand. If there's active demand in a the market, then competitors, you know, will be present in that market and you want to be you want to you want to get into markets where which are which are uh, which have at least which have a handful of competitors right which that tells you that there is demand in that marketplace now i call this the, the 10 1000 rule 10 competitors 1000 firms okay but this is okay it's not a rule but it's a principle right now use the principle um, behind use the uh, um, the thought behind the principle and don't use the principle just based on just, you know uh, uh, the numbers that I'm presenting because if you're targeting fortune 500 companies or fortune 100 companies then by definition you can't have a thousand firms or companies in that market because there's only 500 or 100 right but uh, you want to make sure that um, the ratio like right? you want to have 10 percent um, of competitors in in that market which is like you know uh, not 10 percent but one percent like 10, 1,000, right? So um, I use the principle behind that, uh, the 10, 1,000 uh, mental model and make sure that you, you, know, you research and find um, um, markets that are underserved. So 
now as a consultant you and or as a business owner like i said you can you can be successful in a market that is new of course but typically it will take you longer um the consultants that i work with and typically most people that want to grow their businesses they want to make sure that they you know uh what's the fastest way to growth how do you grow fast without kind of burning a hole in your pocket so uh in, in order to do that in order to kind of like you know build cash flow as you're you know growing your young company make sure that you get into these established markets that are that have competition if you're really passionate about something and you want to kind of uh, take that to market um you can definitely do that but just be mindful of the fact that it might take you slightly longer right because uh, there has to be acceptance of uh your solution or your service in a market before you know you can grow hope that makes sense so the final concept that i want to talk about uh with respect to finding high value market segments is to find growing markets right you want to um find markets that are that are growing right what do i mean by growing markets are more is is more money being spent on on consultants within that market if yes then that's a growing market are the number of entities or firms um in that market growing every year if yes that's a growing market but the, the million dollar question is how do you find out this information like right? how do you find out if more money is being spent on consulting businesses in the market how do you find out if well you know the number of um firms are growing in that market well you have to do some research um you have to talk to people within that market understand uh get a sense of whether or not you know there's uh, companies are open to spending money on consultants and uh, if if there's uh uh more money being spent on consultants and also you can do secondary research and find out how many comp how many companies are being added year on year in that market so a growing market will typically kind of cushion your mistakes right if you make a couple couple mistakes in a growing market you know that there are other companies that uh you can kind of target and uh you know uh and and uh and win right so um you can kind of piggyback and grow your consulting business off of those growing markets okay so just before i open it up to questions um you know one every time i talk about these concepts to my clients um you know the question the biggest question that they ask is what if you don't have the skills to enter these new markets right uh, consulting is a game of expertise and skills and experience so what if you don't like you saturated your current market and you're looking outside markets what if you don't have the skills well for that you simply have to build your skills if you're if you're keen on a specific market and uh, you want to you see a you see long term potential there and if that meet your objectives then you have to simply um learn those skills right um and there's no shortage of ways you can learn those skills another way um that i've seen consultants be successful in breaking into new markets is to invest some time not a lot of time but invest some time in doing pro bono consulting for a new market for a short period of time maybe you do a project for a month or two and you give some time and you get experience within that market then from there you can kind of build your your expertise learn about uh you know uh, how that how that market or, or segment functions and then kind of build your business from there again all this is going to take a longer longer time right 
um, another way to break in is to or to speed in the uh, to hasten the process of breaking into markets is to learn how to create compelling offerings. Right, this is what this is a topic that I'm going to talk about in one of these sessions and in the future. But learning how to create a real compelling um, offering can be a game changer for your business. Apart from targeting, learning how to target your target a market and kind of choose a market for your business. Um, apart from that, creating compelling offerings is by far the most important thing you ever do. And you should you know, know how to do as a consultant because people, most, most people buy um, you know, um, similarly. And so you need to know buying psychology to, to make sure that you come up with the right offerings and solutions for your, for your business. Okay. So the way to break into to a new market is to slowly build capabilities, your own capabilities in those markets. And until you can create value for them, until you create value for them and, uh, and value for your business as well. Right. So that's about uh, what I have for today. I hope this is useful. I'm happy to answer any questions or if any of you want to jump on and you know, talk about your specific situation, we have some time. So I can have, I'm happy to kind of uh, do a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of consulting, live consulting for your benefit and for the benefit of others. So, so does anybody want to come on and talk about a particular situation where you're trying to target a specific segment or you're trying to um, you know, break into a new market? I'm happy to kind of you know, work with you and just you know, have a conversation and see if uh, um, you know, we, can, we can solve the problem to you. So Catherine. I, yeah, um, so my organization is focused on what we call integrative organizational wellness, which is basically employee engagement, customer experience, um, and other revenue drivers for organizations to perform at the individual team and business level. Okay. Um, a lot of the folks on the team have a tech background. We've been doing this type of work as it relates to digital transformations. Mm -hmm. So we're about to launch a new go-to-market um, directed toward CIO, CTO within organizations that are doing digital transformation, as well as um, alliances, directors at tech firms that use partners to do deployment. So like, let's use Salesforce as an example, mm -hmm. where they have a large partner network, um, but not all of those partners do the upfront strategy work around people, culture and process right. items. Yeah, And then, so we're targeting uh, three subsets of buyers, leaders at these partners who don't do this work, um, alliances at the core tech firms that don't do this work, and then the core buyer inside the organization that might have made, again, the, the example of Salesforce purchase or maybe NetSuite or Oracle or whatever, we're tech agnostic. Um, so there's this interesting conundrum of the business challenge, as we stated, and the fact that on average, 70% of digital transformations fail to meet program objectives unless they do this strategic um, planning work and then change management, people, culture work. Um, so it almost feels like disrespectful <laughs> to like Salesforce that, hey, your programs flop unless you do these things, which they mm -hmm. readily admit in-house. Um, so where would you say is the balance on 
a go to markets message being metric based and mindful of the actual challenge and being bold about it, but also respectful of the ecosystem you're addressing that 70% of the time they fail. <laughs> Might be a weird question, but curious about so, your thoughts. So the, the question again, so, so this is, uh, yeah, there is, uh, th you know, as you were talking about employee engagement, customer experience, I, I knew that this was, a, you know, this is pure change management, right? And this is a big problem with the digital transformations. Um, uh, technology consultants will come in and um, install or implement new technology, but people will not adopt that technology, right? And I think ProSci has done some research on this about technology adoption. And that, I think that's where you got that 70% um, um, uh, yeah, staff. Yeah, it's corroborated. Right? Um, so ProSci, I'm ADCAR trained, technically not certified because I went through it as a train the trainer model um, in-house, but we... We use their metrics. We also, there's a Harvard Business Review, a Boston Consulting 2020, Harvard 2019 that still are carrying that metric through. So it's still holding true despite the awareness pro size brought to it. Um, so yeah, it's definitely an interesting one where I don't like saying that to the alliances director at Salesforce of like, hey, 70% of your projects are basically flopping, but it's true and not just one firm corroborating that. So what specifically is the challenge? Like saying that or kind of trying to so put together a value proposition? I just want to make sure that you, like if you have guidance on the balance between pointing out the business challenge without it potentially sounding offensive to your core buyer. So like telling a CIO inside an organization, that 70% of his or her programs fail if they don't do this. Um, I kind of want to build the relationship between business and IT that <clears throat> if you're not in lockstep as an IT professional with your business user, that you run the risk of creating technology tools that aren't going to be adopted or you won't necessarily meet the ROI and, um, so I want to build that relationship. Right, right. Yeah, I think I understand your question. How do you position that to your potential buyer? I think the 70% stat is a pretty strong one. So it must be used. Um, but you can position it saying that, you know, C CIOs and CEOs that we speak with um, tell us that 70% uh, of digital transformation or implement te technology implementations um, fail. So you don't have to say that, okay, it's... Your, your projects are, are probably failing or 70% or, you know, of your projects are failing. But in the market, that's the, those are the stats, right? So position it, position it that way. Um, that would open up the uh, conversation. And if that's true, I mean, I don't think, even if you like, uh, even if, it's, if you say it directly, like uh, a person or a potential buyer that is worried about this problem and it, it knows that this is true in their organization and is serious about fixing it, uh, they're not going to feel offended. That's that's my experience. But uh, of course, I understand your uh, your trepidation in not offending the uh, right. the potential buyer. <laughs> but uh, um, say it in a way where you know the the, the stats, the, the the industry stats say, or other CIOs we talk to say that 70% of projects, uh, technology implementations um, fail to get ad adopted. 
right? So um, that way you can kind of then open up, then have the next stage of that conversation. So does that help? So I don't want to monopolize this chat if somebody else has questions, but I will gladly show you and the crew this go to market and see what people think. <laughs> yeah, why not? Like we have the time, but if anybody else has a question, you can raise your hand and then we'll, you know, make, make the time. But if uh, um, I want to just check the chat. So there's, there's no other questions. Please uh, uh, put in your questions if, there is, if you have some questions. If not, then Catherine, feel free to share. Awesome. Yeah. Um, do you can you enable it where a user can screen share? Yes, I'm just doing it right now. Thanks everybody for letting me do this on the fly. Go for it. I hope it's Go interesting. For it. <laughs> okay, cool. Amazing. Thank you. Okay, so we did this infographic that I'll zoom in. So mm -hmm. what five to flows original business model was to look at what we call the five core elements of business, which is people, culture, process, tech, and analytics. And our core go-to-market was originally HR professionals, chief diversity officers, really curious about employee engagement and like the great reshuffle and people's health and wellness, mental, physical, social, energetic within an organization, how the culture, the business process, the tech that you use all impacts your business outcomes. Mm -hmm. And every one of our buyers up to this point has more been on the tech side of like CIOs that aren't meeting their program objectives and recognize this. So we're like, well, we might as well just make 2022s go to market focused on that. So we started with this infographic that has these stats Again, this like Harvard Business Review has it in 2019, Boston has it in 2020, ProSci has it like in perpetuity. Um, so we're being careful about it's falling short of their objectives, not to say like they fail, but mm -hmm. typically they do um, fail quite significantly in my experience to meet at least the core ROI if they're not doing people and culture and process work at the same time. And then we have this one from ProSci. So, you know, I'm a fan mm -hmm. <laughs> um, on this, just like sponsorship. So like a lot of our clients we're on right now don't have really good executive sponsorship. And so this, we thought mm -hmm. this was an interesting um, one to look at. And then um, I'll just finish it and then ask for your kind of feedback. So right now, um, this 2020 study from Deloitte is basically saying that, um, especially in this digital age with COVID and hybrid versus remote versus on-site workforces, that there's a huge digital disruption and we're going to be relying on technology to improve employee engagement. But if you're not really looking at it holistically, you might be putting technologies out that are actually distracting people and impeding their progress. Right. So any thoughts from the group or from you, Fahim? On, on the messaging or on the infographic? Yeah, I mean, just like, so I know the go-to-market, um, the actual clients are there because we that's basically who we've been working with. Mm -hmm. But I I'm really trying to get feedback from people in this space to say that like this is telling me something I need to react to or that it resonates um, just as a piece of a go-to-market. Okay, so 
um, in terms of the messaging, right? Like uh, the numbers are all relevant, right? Like uh, the the seventy percent, the 93 percent, they're all they're all very relevant. Um, what you may want to also uh, bring in there, and this is again like uh, the messaging is a big topic, but I'll just give you my two cents over here, given um, um, given we have just you know ten minutes. Um, also have to put in like qualitatively what is how 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 are those problems showing up in their in their companies so if 70% of digital transformations are not are failing for example uh, or you use another term like how is that yep. showing up in their businesses like what uh, are are employees um, leaving because they're forced to use new, new technology are uh, um, you know is productivity um, you know, not improving because now they're not using yes. it. It's just going back to old technology. How is that showing up? What what is uh, what's going on? What are the costs of of that uh, for the that company? That is such a good question right? because we have like several. Like I have a client right now who says that they can't recruit because their CRM is so bad that younger, more tech savvy sales professionals are looking at it and going, "I'm not." <laughs> coming here so that's a great way to put it let me i'll um put that one definitely in my head and then i don't want to but what is uh uh no no there's uh i'm curious about this what is the number one challenge right now is it getting is it landing more meetings is it converting is it finding executive sponsorship what's the number one challenge for uh, um what i'm seeing the number one challenge with for the core buyer the cio is getting the business to own their side of the technology implementation by way of people and process readiness and then the culture. So, you know, ADCAR, the R, <laughs> the reinforcement. Well, so first of all, there's lack of business alignment on what they're trying to achieve with a particular technology. Mm -hmm. um, there's lack of metrics associated to tech adoption versus actual business performance. Mm -hmm. And then most of my clients tend to put outdated processes into the new tools and aren't like changing the role descriptions for their people. So anyone on the calls in HR, you've probably seen that as employees leave and we hire new people or we downsize or whatever, there's not a rationalization of somebody's new day-to-day -day way of working based on the missing headcount or the additional headcount or the new tools. We just put the tool out there and change or train point and click how to use it. Um, so from a financial pain point, Fahim, to answer the question is um, limited ROI on the tool investment. But mm -hmm. from a people and culture perspective, it's employee engagement and burnout. Yeah, and that uh, is uh, that you know goes directly into into well being, into culture, uh, and and all of those things. So you said something interesting. The you know the uh, IT department that is the CIO versus the business. The business has to implement, right? So I think yeah. it comes back to it comes back to what we were discussing, you know, in this call, which is targeting. Like, uh, um, who is your target customer? Are you going? you know, industry vertical wise, or are you doing, is this like, you know, or horizontal market that you've chosen? 
Um, we're in all industries and all regions. So we haven't hunkered down on that because I've been global for so long and um, completely industry agnostic. Um, so right now we're really focused on this particular buying persona instead of like just by role. So the CIO, for example, mm -hmm. um, in the past, like because of my existing relationships from the Salesforce ecosystem for 11 years globally, um, I've been working with a lot of chief revenue officers, um, but I really wanted to shift the business to this chief HR or people officer because it's the employee attrition that's such a huge metric right now um, and mental health that we really wanted what we're doing to fix the people culture side of this particular problem. How many so clients do you have right now? How many what? How many clients do you have right now? Um, seven. And who is the, who, who's the buyer um, in you know, each of those instances? Like is the buyer the CIO um, or the business? Either CEOs or CIOs right now. Um, the next one that we just did a proposal on is the CHRO because she's trying to address employee attrition and overwhelm, which somebody put in the chat, Kisti, I think. So a lot of companies who are experiencing this great reshuffle are not exactly sure what the root cause is. So that's our job is to tell them what's happening. Why are the employees overwhelmed and leaving or underperforming? Um, but right. the the because each of these companies that have engaged me know me from the salesforce ecosystem that's been an easy <laughs> buyer to target so i'm just like i might as well just capitalize on what's already happening with some structure behind it yeah so maybe that's the market right like the markets that are using using salesforce companies that are using salesforce that uh, know uh, that they have these problems um maybe that's one way to look at it Another way to look at it is, you know, looking at it from the HR angle. Like I used, are you talking to a couple of talking to a CHRO? Yep. Um, I think that's the the key. Like, who is the who is the ideal buying persona, uh, and what problem is that individual grappling with? So that messaging should be focused on that. And I know that the larger, you know, in large companies everything is different. Like in, in certain companies, maybe the HR angle, you know, other companies, maybe IT. So um, I, I would start with like picking one problem to solve because there's many ways you can skin this cat, right? So picking right. either the employee uh, way, uh, the employee uh, attrition issue and focusing on that and, and talking about how you can kind of uh, improve that. And then you can build a community of, uh, of HR leaders, right? Um, or you can look at it in terms of, you know, technology adoption and uh, productivity gains and then whatnot. So um, uh, I would start with like really understanding, really focusing and picking on picking a, a specific problem that you wish to solve. So yep. that's what that's what I would do. Uh, we have a few more. Um, Sorry, say that again, Catherine, you were saying something? Oh, I was just reacting. Thank you so much for taking the time to take a real use case. I appreciate it. And thanks everybody for your comments. Super helpful. You got it. I, I think Bill has a question for you, Catherine. Is um, the tool available yeah. to employees through an internal portal? So our company built like a what we call the wellness wave and it's available to everyone. Um, we do it campaign basis for 
clients um, to see their report on their outcomes so we can see where the core business issue is, if that's the tool you were referring to. Um, but like for um, organizations who can assess themselves or like use Salesforce, um, not exactly sure if I'm answering your question, but the tool we use is available to the world. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know if that was your question, sorry. Um, well, uh, sorry, I, I have a bunch of dogs here. So if they, if they start barking okay. and going crazy, I apologize. Uh, no worries. Uh, part of my question is uh, for your customer base, uh, what I see in the large organizations is that uh, they spend all this time and money on policy and implementation guidelines and all these different tool sets uh, and hide them from everybody else in the organization so that nobody ultimately is aware that they exist and uh, they reinvent the wheel. Um, so, so it's just my thought. And my wife uh, does uh, leadership training for the government. So I listen to a lot of the challenges oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that they go through. Um, and you know, it's, it's almost an oxymoron, but I didn't say that out loud. Because uh, 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 it, it just all the hurdles with all of the hours that were expected to sit in front of webinars and such. Uh, the tools, uh, I'm IT background. Uh, so with my teams, typically we have to make the engagements a lot of fun because they're doing this on top of a full-time job. And, you know, depending on their learning personalities or learning types, you know, some people like it one way, some people like it another way, you know, they've got all these different colors that they use in the government. But uh, what I'm trying to figure out is, is your hurdle or your, you know, pushback from your customers uh, based on, you know, it's not getting disseminated, people aren't spending enough time on it, uh, mm -hmm. it's too difficult to learn. Yeah, I think there's like, it's all across the board, Bill, it's like, number one, do I even know why I'm supposed to use this? So if you're more veteran inside the company and you've succeeded this long, why should I start using this new thing? To which I reply like, oh, are you still using a fax machine and <laughs> your cell phone? <laughs> but like, um, totally agree. Like we have to make sure that there is that transparency and that's the people and culture component of what we do is engage the stakeholders and future users along the way to make sure there's awareness and desire to use it, which are the first two of ADCAR, and then providing the knowledge and capabilities and then reinforcing with the management team. So I agree with you. And I did a lot with the public sector in this space too. So my heart goes out to your wife for fighting that battle. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so uh, I, uh, without knowing 100% what your tool does, uh, uh, my experience is that uh, it, these, the policy that is written and the structures from an IT perspective often are hidden from the developers. So, you know, I, I years ago was brought in to fix a problem at, uh, in the government where they were recreating the Dewey Decimal System for logging, you know, all of the different films and such within the Canadian government, um, as opposed to talking to somebody in library sciences that uh, would say, okay, this is the way we do it. And 11 months into the project, we completed it in a week. So uh, it's the right people doing the right job at the right time. Uh, so, um, you know, that's just 
kind of my background and try to figure out what, uh, you know, the challenges that you're seeing. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thank you so much, Bill. That was great. Thanks, Catherine. There's one more question that's come in, uh, Peter. So Peter asks, um, we're just at the top of the hour now, but uh, Peter says, could you comment on marketing for consultancy in the public sector? So Peter, can you elaborate on that question? What specifically would you like to know about marketing for consultancy in the public sector? Um, because I'm not sure in what context. Okay, what I mean is uh, maybe if you could just, uh, like most of your comments is on the private sector. I just want to know what, what kind of strategies would you advise that we, we use when, you, when you're trying to, I mean, market it would be, to, it be to, to, to market yourself within the public sector, particularly, I mean, in, in the areas of your, your specialization, like for me, I mean, uh, public finance, and uh, performance management sector. So I've, I've basically just started about a year and a half old in, in consulting work. So I just wanted to know from you what tips you could give, which I could then use okay. to, to enable me to, to market myself within the public sector, because that, that, that's basically where my, my specialization right. is. Right. So when you say public sector, you're talking about marketing to the government, right? Government, yes, government. Yeah. So uh, in my experience working, uh, doing consulting for the government, I've done a lot of consulting for the municipal government uh, in, in uh, London, Ontario, and uh, for the uh, provincial government in Ontario. Um, my experience is that for the public sector, typically, you know, you'll have to put in an RFP. A, a, there's a request for a proposal and you have to respond to, to, the, to the RFP. And, you know, that's not my favorite way of landing new clients. That's how government is, uh, that's how government business is won, like tenders and, and RFPs. Uh, but although, you know, once or twice I have won RFPs because I've, uh, you know, I've, I was known to the, with someone in the committee who specifically wanted to work with me so they sent me the rfp and i had to actually you know be part of that process so sometimes you know um building relationships with uh put uh, with buyers potential buyers within the public sector uh does help but typically uh, peter it's uh, you have to go through the procurement process and that's not my favorite way of uh of landing, landing new business. I'm sorry, I'm not able to, you know, be of too much help in this situation. But that's how selling to the public sector is typically done. Okay, thank you. I, I get, I get, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, basically, at, at least you have uh, you have assisted in terms of saying that uh, I need to develop some networks within yes. within the public sector just to see if I can penetrate through there, even if we do the RFPs and uh, the expression of, in, uh, of interest and so on. Yes, 100%. Very much, thanks. All right, thank you so much, guys, for your patience. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, and uh, hope to see you at the next um, edition of Consulting Growth Hour. Ciao. Thanks for listening right to the end. I appreciate your time. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and connect with me and say hi on LinkedIn. For video replays of these sessions, check out our YouTube channel. And most importantly, join us live to get all your questions answered at Consulting Growth Hour Live. All details in the show notes. See you next time.